Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Mark chapter 8. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 22 through 30. You can follow along with me in your own Bible that you brought or in the Bible that's provided in front of you, or you can just follow along with me in the bulletin if you'd like to do that. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It is great to have you with us. Uh, My name is Sean Slade. I'm the pastor here, and we're so glad to have you because we know that there are a million different things uh, that you could be doing this morning. You could, as we've all been doing, trying to work off the COVID-19, COVID-18, COVID-17, COVID-16, COVID-15, COVID-14. We're now at COVID-13. You could be at home eating the Halloween candy uh, that you collected yesterday. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, candy corn and milk is delicious. Uh, Or you could be celebrating uh, the fact that uh, the University of Tennessee football team was off by watching The Mandalorian. Uh, but you're not doing any of those things at this moment. You're here, and we're really glad that you're with us. I want to thank you for coming. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time than worship Jesus, uh, consider his claims upon your life, and to think about the beauty of his kingdom. And so I do want to thank you uh, for joining us this morning, and welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church, and what that means is that we're a community of people We're trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God, he's the Messiah, and he's entered into the world uh, to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together in his name to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together and we do things with one another, we read the Bible with one another, we pray with one another, so that we can remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love, as we remind each other of his love, uh, we then become a people who love to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University in Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire world, right? That's who we are. The people trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that, we're in the middle of this series on the kingdom of God as seen through the lens of the gospel of Mark. And so this morning, what I want us to think about is kingdom seen, all right? Kingdom seen. So with that in mind, let's look together. Mark chapter 8, 22 through 30. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led them out of the village. And when, they, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, 
but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful uh, that you're a God who isn't hidden or silent, but you are one who loves to make yourself known. You're, lo- you're one who loves to be seen. And so it is our prayer now that as we attend unto your word, that you would open our eyes, that we would see lovely things of you in this your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of my uh, best friends is a guy named Matt Howell, and Matt Howell loves to do magic tricks, or he loves to do magic illusions, as he calls them. And I love when Matt does magic. I'm excited about thinking about it, because like the cards disappear, right? The coins appear behind my ears, and it just brings me so much joy to watch him do magic. Uh, Well, the other day, he and I were catching up on the phone, and we were talking about his magic illusions, and he said this. He said, Magic is all about controlling what people see, and then poof, you show them the magic. And I bring this up not because uh, as we're looking at a miracle of Jesus, (laughs) Jesus' miracles are just sort of magic illusions. I bring this up because um, our eyes are often blind to the reality that is, and what we need is Jesus to show us what is real. We need Jesus to show us what is real. And that's the point of this text, right? That we are blind. And uh, we are blind because of the magic of the world, the magic of the flesh, and the magic of the devil. They distract us, or better yet, they blind us to the reality and to the goodness of God. And what we need is for Jesus to help us to see. And so this morning, uh, that's what we need to do. We need to ask Jesus to help us to see. And so Jesus, help me to see. Would you say that with me? Jesus, help me to see. And at first glance, as you read this miracle, it sort of seems like a blooper reel, right, that might wind up at the end of a Pixar movie. I mean, Jesus spits on the man's eyes. He lays his hands on the man, and he says, do you see anything? And the man says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And so he lays his hands on him again, and Jesus opens the man's eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And so if you read this quickly, it might seem as if Jesus makes a mistake, or or maybe Jesus is tired, he's been doing all this stuff, and he doesn't quite have his, uh, his, uh, his power, he's sort of like a leaven who's been drained after doing all of her work in Stranger Things. Um... Or maybe this is a really difficult healing, and so it demands a little bit extra from Jesus. And yet, as we've been reading the Gospel of Mark, we see him healing in all these different ways over and over again. At times, Jesus heals with just a touch. 
At times, Jesus heals with a word. At times, he, hear, uh, he heals with a thought. At times, he draws near to the person. And at times, he stays away from the person. And so as you begin to read this, uh, this, this miracle in light of the context, it seems like there might be, going, there might be more going on than meets the eye. It's a pun. Uh, sorry. You see? Because the eye in the pun. Andy, it's not. Okay, anyway, so there's nothing that meets the eye. It's a dad joke. Uh, that's why I'm a dad. And uh, so what seems to be happening in this miracle is that there's this, it's an enacted parable. It's not that the miracle didn't happen. The miracle happened, but the miracle had a teaching point. And so Jesus is healing this man in this way in order to teach us something. And, and to see this, it's really important for us to remember the context as we've been reading through the Gospel of Mark, there's this big question that's been looming over and over again. And the question is this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so his family, remember, they thought he was a little bit crazy. Uh, you think about his neighbors, they thought he was just one of them. Uh, the Pharisees, they thought he was unclean and maybe from the devil. Herod thought that he was a powerful wonder worker. The crowds thought he was someone that would just feed them. And when we get to chapter 8, right, I mean, the disciples, they're confused about Jesus. They're confused about the bread. The Pharisees, they want this sign to come down from heaven that would tell them who and prove to them who he was. And then Jesus and the disciples, they got on this boat. They crossed over to the other side. The disciples forgot the bread. They're arguing with one another. Why would you forget the bread, right? And then do you remember Jesus' comments to them? He said, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having eyes, do you not see? And then immediately, Jesus brings them to this blind man. To this man who has eyes, but does not see. Do you see the point that Jesus is making? Jesus is saying, you are like this man. You see, but you do not yet see. And this is true of all of us. What Jesus is doing in this parable is he is pointing out the blindness of humanity. At times we think we see, and at times we know we don't. And if we're honest, we would all say we do not see things clearly. We are all blind. Some of you are honest about that this morning. You've come here and you don't see Jesus. You don't see God. Uh, and you are trying to figure things out. And so you've come here this morning to check it out, right? You want to know what God is all about. You want to know what people are saying. And so you've come here and you're watching the people, you're watching the people as they read the liturgy, as they sing the songs, as this guy stands up and talks. And you're trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about. And you want to see, but you don't really know what you're even supposed to see. There are others of you that are here this morning, and you've been around Christianity for a really long time. You know the Bible. You know the catechisms. You know the songs. And yet you don't see him, right? You don't feel him. You don't recognize him anywhere in your life. 
and you're looking and you're searching and you're crying out to see clearly. And my hope for us is that Jesus will help us to see him this morning. Some of you are here and um, all you see is the suffering that is in your life. It's right there in front of you, and it is all that you can see. You see the trials, you see the busyness, you see the frustration, you see the disappointment, and you are unable to see Jesus through your tears. And you have come here this morning hoping that in some way Jesus might dry your eyes so that you would be freed up to see him once again. And my hope is that Jesus will help you to see him this morning. There are others of us who are here and we've just begun to see. And so we come to church and the songs and the readings and the bread and the wine and the people. It's, it's all so exciting, right? Like it's all so life-giving and you've begun to see him and you see him maybe as a friend or you see him as a shepherd. You see him as someone who loves you. You see him as a king, as a prophet, as a priest. You see him as your bridegroom who delights over you. Maybe you see him as your master and your savior. You see him, but yet you're still trying to figure out how do you see him at work? How do you see him in your studies? How do you see him in the difficulty of your family? How do you see him uh, with all these desires that you hate that spring up within you? And if we're all honest, at times it's easy to see him on Sunday morning and incredibly difficult to see him on Monday morning. And what each and every one of us need is for Jesus to help us to see. And so we need to ask him to help us to see. Jesus, help me to see. Would you say that with me? Jesus, would you help me to see? And it, as we look at this miracle, we see that seeing is, is a process. I mean, think about it. We all see new things about Jesus over time. And of course, it's not that Jesus is changing. It's just that we begin to, new, we begin to see new things about him. So for some of you, when you became a Christian, uh, you saw Jesus as the one who forgave you, but he just sort of tolerated you. And then over time, you began to see him as one who doesn't tolerate you, but he's one who actually loves you. Some of you, when you came to Jesus for the first time, you came to him because you were looking for meaning and purpose in, the, in, in your life, and you thought, maybe this will do it. And so Jesus was the one who would give meaning and purpose. And over time, you began to see that he was the savior of your sins. There are others of you who came to Jesus uh, looking for a counselor, someone who would comfort you. And you found him as one who is a comforter. And over time, as you've begun to engage him and look to him, you've seen him as your master who actually leads you in good things. And there are others of you who you came to Jesus because you just needed somebody to tell you what to do. What, what you needed, what you wanted was a teacher. And now what you found is that he's a friend. And what is true is that Jesus is all these things. And we experience him in different ways, in different times of our lives. He reveals himself in these new ways. And we learn Jesus like we learn our friends. We learn him over time. A few weeks ago, uh, 
my family had the privilege of going to visit my daughter uh, at her college, and so we had the joy of meeting all of her new friends, and it was really great. We're sitting on the porch outside of her dormitory. We're sitting on these beautiful Adirondack chairs overlooking this, this beautiful, you know, plaza, courtyard, grass area, grass area, that's what we'll call it, deers running, and uh, seven deer for every student. And anyway, and so we're sitting there, and we're talking to her, we're meeting all of her friends, and um, they're telling us about themselves and all that, and then my daughter, Annabelle, sort of got up, and she starts doing this sort of like TikTok dance thing that people do, and then all of the, and then like, and then one of Mary Austin's friends that we call Sarah to the Streets, uh, started talking about her sister. And then Mary Austin and all her friends were like, wait, what? You have a sister? How do we not know you had a sister, right? She's like, yeah, of course I had a sister. Have I not told you about my sister? And, and what's really amazing is that at different moments in our life, different people bring out different things in us. It's the same way, right, as we spend time with Jesus and as we spend time with his people, we begin to see different facets of who he is over time. It's how it is with our friends. It's how it is with God. The longer we are with him, the longer we look to him, the more clearly we begin to see him. And I'm sure you've, you've experienced this in your own life as you've read the Bible over and over again. I'm sure you have passages that you've read over and over again and that at some point something clicks. At some point something new. You see something new. I mean, for me, early on, a really beautiful passage was John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. Beautiful passage, right? And like, man, that's the staple of Christianity. And I just remember thinking, man, God is saving me from this evil, awful world. He's so kind to do that. And then I kept reading. One day I said, you know, I should probably read more than verse 16. Let's go on to verse 17. And so I read verse 17, and it said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And verse 17 began to shed this whole brand new light on verse 16 that, that Jesus did come to save, but he came to save because the Father loves and he loves this world and that Jesus came into the world not to spend his time grumbling and complaining about the world, but he came into the world to save this world that he loves. And it's amazing, right, to begin to think about this development, that you begin to see new things about him, things that you had always thought, and then bam, there's this bigger part to it. Growing up, you know, I was always taught the Ten Commandments. And uh, many of you have been taught the Ten Commandments. They're great. Wonderful commandments. And I remember early on thinking, okay, to save myself, I need to obey these 10 things. If I can just do these 10 things, I'll be saved. And then I remember one day reading through the Bible and then realizing, oh my goodness, the 10 commandments were given to God's people after he had already saved them. After he'd already saved them. He didn't give the Ten Commandments for Israel to save itself. He gave them because he would already save them. And so therefore the Ten Commandments became this way of living a life of gratitude to the God who loves us and delivers us and delights in us. And these are his ways that are good in the world and they're for our good that we might honor him and enjoy him and, and, and declare to the nations the beauty and the wisdom of our God. These are, you see how the order matters, and these new things begin to shape the way we see God and help us to see him more clearly. 
And because of this, it ought to produce within us a really deep humility. Because the fact of the matter is each and every one of us are learning. We're all learning Jesus. It's not like we become a Christian and then poof, we now know all the answers. We now see everything. It's not like we become Christians and then we see everything and know everything perfectly. But over time, we begin to see more clearly. And again, this ought to produce within us a deep humility or at least a long patience with those who do not see. Right? A long patience with those who do not get it because the fact of the matter is that any sight that we have is a gift from God. And if to have sight of God is a gift from him, then it is nothing to boast in. It is nothing to hold over other people. In fact, it ought to produce within us a deep compassion. It ought to, uh, to, to create within us a cry to Jesus that he might allow our friends, our neighbors, and our children to see Jesus. Because when he gives us this gift of seeing the beauty and the grace and the mercy of God in the face of Jesus, and we see that this is a gift It ought to fill us with joy and gratitude and praise, not pride and arrogance, but delight in him and a desire for others to delight in him as well. And as many have pointed out in the past, as a 47-year-old man, you know, who looks back on his life at 21, you often think, man, what was I thinking? If you look back at the clothes you wore in high school, you think, who picked these out? And why would I ever wear these things? Daniel, you look good. I mean, that's going to that's, that's gonna endure, promise. Uh, you know, but like we look back on our lives and we think, how foolish was I? And I think the same is true for us as Christians. I mean, if we're growing as Christians, one of the things we know is that we'll look back on our life in 10 years and think, man, I was so blind. <laughs> Man, I was so foolish. And do you know what that means? If, if you're going to look back, if you know, if you would say that I'm going to look back on my life in 10 years and go, man, what was I thinking? What that means is that right now we're blind and foolish. And we don't even know it. Now, it's not that we don't see anything right now. It's just that we don't see everything right now. And it's not that we don't see anything, it's just that we don't see everything clearly right now. And one of the ironies is we don't even know what we do not yet see. And so what we need to do as the people of God is we need to ask Jesus to help us to see. Jesus, help me to see. Would you say that with me? Jesus, help me to see. And what is it that Jesus wants us to see? Jesus wants us to see him. And and we see this in the follow-up to the healing. Notice the big question that is asked in verse 27. He says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And notice their answer. They say, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And what they're saying to Jesus is, hey, Jesus, uh, everyone thinks you're a pretty big deal. 
Everyone thinks you're important. You're sort of like on the Mount Rushmore of Israel. You're an all-star. You're the prophet who has come to speak the word of God. You're the prophet who's come to teach us uh, about God and to point us towards God. And that's often how people view Jesus. It's how they think of Jesus. He's this good religious man who taught amazing things, did amazing things. And his whole purpose was to come to show us how we can live and how we can be good and how we can secure the good life that we want. And so for many of us, that's what religion is all about. It's about uh, religious people pointing towards the good life. It's about religious people pointing towards the way that we can save ourselves or make the universe work. And here's the point, right? Though they saw, they were blind. And they were blind both to themselves and blind to Jesus. Because what they thought was that they just needed a little help. What they thought is that they just needed a little more education, that they just needed a new model to follow and a set of instructions that they could follow. And then they could get on with the good life and they could please God and they could secure their salvation and secure the life that they wanted. And I think, sadly, we're also blind, too. I mean, if we're honest, we struggle to see our desperate need for Jesus. And what we want are ten steps for a good life and five steps for a good family. And we want Jesus' model for winning friends and influencing people without having to die on the cross And we just want someone to sort of square our shoulders and give us a little push because all we need is a little bit of help. And Jesus' point to us is that we're blind. That we're blind to our selfishness. We're blind to the power of sin in our lives. We're blind to the extent of our guilt. We're blind to our insufficiency and inadequacy to even deal with that guilt. And because of that, we're actually blind to Jesus. We think Jesus came to just help us, and yet we think Jesus came to give us a little bit of advice. We think Jesus came to sort of point us in the ways that we can save ourselves. But Jesus didn't come for those things. Jesus actually came to save us uh, from ourselves. Jesus didn't come to point the way to God. Jesus is God, and God has come to us in him. And apart from him, we have nothing. And this is incredibly important for us because as long as we think we're okay, as long as we think that we can save ourselves, as long as we think Jesus is merely a model for social change or a model for the way to make your life work or a model to justify your political narrative, we will remain blind to him. And so what we need to do is we need to ask Jesus to actually help us to see. And so Jesus, help me to see. Would you say that with me? Jesus, would you help me to see? And so Jesus has asked them this really safe question, who do people say that I am? And that's a safe question, right? Because it doesn't require anything from us because we get to stand back and we get to evaluate what everybody else says. And so we could stand back and say, well, Islam says that he's a prophet. And the Mormons say that he's the son of God, but he's not God. Others might say he's a great teacher. Others might say he's inspirational. Others might say he's irrelevant. 
And we do this as Christians too. I mean, rather than making our own confession uh, as Christians, we would say, well, Presbyterians believe. Catholics believe. Tim Keller believes. C.S. Lewis believes. John Stott believes. John Piper believes. Now, of course, what they believe really matters. It's important. But it doesn't matter right now. It doesn't matter right now because right now what Jesus is asking each of us is verse 29. But who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus doesn't want to remain safe and distant. He actually wants to get up close and personal. And he's looking each of you in the eye right now. And he's saying, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that he is? Who do you see him to be? Peter then steps in for us, and he makes the confession, and he says, you are the Christ. And by saying you are the Christ, it's, it's a way of saying you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the anointed king of God. And what this means by making this confession is that Jesus came not only to announce and proclaim the good news as he did in Mark chapter 1, Jesus actually is the good news. He's the final son of David. He's the true king of the world. He is the one who rules and defends over all things. He's the one who defeats all of his and our enemies. He's the one who protects the weak and provides for the needy. He's the one who forgives the sinner. And it is his rule that will spread throughout the entire world. And his rule is a rule of love and beauty and goodness and justice and mercy. And it will fill the world. And what happens in this moment is that Peter begins to see. In, in this moment, Peter sees that Jesus is the Christ. But in this moment, Peter remains like the blind man. Because Peter sees, but he doesn't see. Because Peter has no idea what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. In this moment, Peter has no idea. He could never imagine that the cross was going to be the way that the Christ would deal with our sin and that the Christ would establish his rule. There's no way in that moment that Peter would have understood that it was the cross where God's justice and mercy would be taken care of. In that moment, there was no idea that Peter could have re realized that true life will only come through death and resurrection. It's in that moment, and Peter proves it later, that he has no idea that true power comes by giving your life away. There's no way that he knew that, that leadership would come through service because he thought it would come through the sword. Peter had no idea the scandal that he was about to enter into. He had no idea the suffering that he was about to witness. He had no idea the life that was going to be required of him. And he had no idea the breadth of the church that would be built upon his confession. And this is the reason that the Gospel of Mark doesn't end at chapter 8. But it now has 16 chapters. Because from this point on, Jesus will begin to reveal what the Messiah must do 
and he will do it when he goes to the cross. But what's beautiful is that in that moment, Peter saw something about the Christ. In that moment, he saw something about Jesus that was strong enough and beautiful enough for him to follow him wherever he would lead him. You and I, we don't see everything clearly about Jesus. We don't see everything clearly about this world. But we do see him. We do see him. And so the question for each of you is this, what do you see? Who do you say that he is? We need Jesus to help us to see. Jesus, help me to see. Would you say that with me? Jesus, would you help me to see? And that's what this table is all about. This table is actually a gift from God where he gives us this sacrament. He gives us this bread and this wine so that we might see Jesus more clearly. And so he invites us to come to this table and he invites us to stop looking at ourselves, to stop looking for easy solutions to our life, to stop looking at human solutions to human problems. He asks us to turn away from the blindness of our hopelessness and begin to look at the hope that is found in Christ alone. And he invites you to come to this table and to see him in this bread and to see him in this wine and to see that the Christ is the one who has died for you that the Christ is the one who uh, was raised for you, and that the Christ is the one who will return for you. And so as you come to this table, he's inviting you to see the beauty of the Father's love for us in the gift of Jesus to us. And so as you come to this table this morning, would you make it your prayer that Jesus would help you to see more clearly? And so as you come, would you ask him, Jesus, help me to see? Let's say that one last time. Jesus, would you help me to see? Therefore, I invite you to rise and to lift up your heart.